welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So again, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And the word of the Lord reads, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your mission. This is the word of the Lord. This morning as we <clears throat> are here together and we approach Christmas, and in light of the loss of one of our church family members, we are going to actually take a little bit of a detour uh, from our current series in, in Mark. And, and I say a current detour because, because you know, we're not going to continue down the same road today you know, as we were on you know, in the text itself through the book of Mark. But it certainly um, does relate to the ground that we've already laid. What we're going to talk about today certainly uh, connects to what we've been talking about already. Right? And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about Christmas and the birth of, of Christ and all that that means. Right? But then after that, we're going to pick this series back up in Mark chapter 1 uh, after that. And so, uh, but, but today, I understand, it does relate to everything we've talked about so far. So the point that, that we've come to uh, in this series uh, titled Following Jesus um, you know, where we've been working our way through the book of Mark. Um, after five weeks, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're still in chapter one, but, but we have covered a lot of ground and we have learned a lot about who Jesus is. We have learned a great deal about his mission on earth. We have also learned a great deal about what it means to be saved. And one of the themes, I don't know if you've noticed in the book of Mark that we've seen over and over again, is, is the call to repentance, the call to turn from sin. It's something that John the Baptist called people to, and it's also something that Jesus called people to as well. He said, you know, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We must repent and turn from our sins and believe and, and put our trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and what we learned, you know, through this series so far is that, is that it's just, just knowing Jesus isn't enough, though you do need to know him. That is important, but it's not enough because even the demons know him. Right? And having the right theological perspective about Jesus isn't enough. Right? We should have correct theology. We need to have correct theology. There are things that you must believe about Jesus to be saved, but having the right theology itself is not enough. Even the demons have a high view of Jesus Christ. And being obedient to Christ and his commands isn't enough because even the demons obeyed. I mean, Jesus said, shut up and get out, and that's exactly what the demon did without hesitation. And so we ask the question then, what's the difference between, between us and the demons? Why, why are, are we saved and, and not them? Which in light of what has happened this week is a very important question. It's perhaps one of the most important questions we could ask. Why should we be confident that we are saved? What makes us saved and our future secure when the demons who know Jesus and have a high theology of Jesus and obey Jesus' direct commands but they're not. And the answer, as we've already seen, is the call of Jesus to repent, 
and believed the gospel. We were to repent of our sins and take all of our hope and take all of that hope off of us and anything that we could possibly do and place it on Jesus Christ and the gospel and, and the good news and trust that God is going to do exactly what he has promised to do. And in our time together in these weeks, one of the things that we've come to learn and understand is that the gospel isn't always easy to hear. The gospel can pierce hearts. As the, the Apostle Paul says, for the, for the word of, of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. The gospel pierces our hearts. The gospel can, can ruffle our feathers. The gospel can shake our foundation. As Paul says, the gospel is offensive. Right? The, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Right? The gospel can sometimes be hard to hear. That's why I believe that there's so much preaching today, even in mainstream conservative Christianity, that, that there's so much of, of that that seeks to soften the impact of the gospel, to, to take the edge off of it, to, to make it a little more palatable, to make it a little bit easier to hear. That's why so many, so many people avoid using words like sin and, and hell and wrath and judgment. That's why much of the gospel preaching today is, is simply just about believing something about Jesus, but, but there's no mention at all of, of our, our need to turn and to, to repent. That's why so much preaching sounds like motivational uh, seminars rather than, than the exposition of the text. That's why so many sermon series are like eight ways to have a better life, right? Six ways to get a better suntan. I mean, I don't know. It sounds more like a pep talk rather than, than, than you know, a call to hear the word of God and, and to be transformed by the word of God because, because sometimes the gospel can be hard to hear. And, and understand, that is not something that's new. This is not a phenomenon that's, that's new to our generation. We can't blame the millennials for that. We like to blame them for everything else, right? But we can't blame the millennials for that. Right? This is something that's, that is as old as, as Christianity. Paul says in the text, for, for the time is coming when people will not endure, they will not put up with, they will not take, they will not you know, stand for sound teaching. But having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. They will surround themselves with people that will say what they want to hear and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into into myths. Why? Why would people do that? Because the, because the gospel sometimes can be hard to hear. Sometimes the gospel hurts. Sometimes the gospel of Jesus Christ pierces our hearts. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ takes the law of God and His holiness and holds it up in front of our faces like a mirror and calls us to look. Look at your yourself. Look at your sin. Look at your depraved nature. Look how broken you are. You need to be rescued. You need to be saved. You are a fallen, broken sinner, and you're helpless to save yourself. And the wrath of God abides upon you. You are not a good person who occasionally makes mistakes. You're a wretched sinner who is capable of good only because the grace of God is restraining you from being you know, as bad as you sometimes want to be. And the thing is, we all kind of know that. I'm sure many of you had to restrain yourself this week. Right? Some of you had to restrain yourself from like putting somebody in a chokehold. Right? right? Let somebody cut you off in traffic. Believe me, if there's an indication in America of where your heart really is, just let that happen. Right? Get into traffic on the 405 freeway like you're trying to get to LAX 
and, and find out you know, that there is something inside of you that, that you are having to restrain. That is the grace of God that's allowing you to restrain that. The law of God helps us to see that we're not good people and that we need to be saved. And, and, and this is the part that we don't want to hear. This is the part that we want to avoid. This is the part that offends people. Nobody wants to be called a helpless wretch. We all want to believe somewhere in all of us that we're good people. Go out of here today and talk to people that, that don't come to church or don't know Christ and ask them, why would, should you be saved? And they'll say, because I'm a good person. Because every single one of them believes with all of their heart, with all their mind, they honestly believe that they're good people. Right? We all, at some point, believe that we're intrinsically good Right? I should get to go to heaven because I'm a good person. God, you know, if, if God he actually loves people, then he's going to love me because I'm a good person. Nobody wants to hear that they're not. And nobody wants to hear that their lifestyle is in violation of God's holiness. Nobody wants to hear you know, that they're sideways with God because of the way that they're living and that they're living in sin. Nobody wants to be told that you're an adulterer, that you're a gossip. Nobody wants to, to be told that living with your boyfriend or girlfriend actually is, is, is offensive to God. Nobody wants to hear that the lifestyle that you're living is sinful. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to hear that a loving God actually does punish sin. And that sin must be atoned for. And that the wages of sin is death. And that those who are not saved are consigned to hell. Nobody ever wants to hear that a loving God will actually allow a person to step off into an eternity of suffering. And that's why so much of today's preaching doesn't address the issue of sin or repentance. It's, it's, it's all about just, just turn to Jesus because he loves you. And understand, that is the truth. He does love you. Jesus loves you more than you can possibly imagine. God loves you with a radical kind of love and a grace that you, don't, you can't even fathom. God pours out his grace, you know, even on those who don't believe in him. Every single breath that a person takes is a gift from God. Every, every moment of warmth in the sun, every, every time you experience love from a friend, the joy that you experience with your family at Christmas time, all of those things are gracious gifts of God that we don't deserve. God lavishes His overwhelming grace even upon sinners. And so, yes, God does love you. So you will never hear me say anything differently than that. God loves you, but that is not the entire gospel. That is not the entire picture. Hear me. Jesus didn't come into the world so that you would simply know how loved you are. That's not why he came. Jesus came in the world to save sinners. That's what Paul tells Timothy in his first letter. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus didn't come to make you feel better about yourself, though he can make you feel better about yourself. I want you to understand that. Jesus can do that. And Jesus didn't come in the world so that way your marriage would be better, right? But Jesus can make your marriage better, right? If you will put your trust in him and your wife will put your trust in him, and the two of you are trusting in Jesus together, he can make your marriage better, but that's not why he came. Jesus didn't come so that you would know that how deeply loved by God you are, though if you will trust in Jesus Christ, you will know how deeply loved by God you are. He came to save you from your sin and the coming wrath of God. And if we don't, if we don't talk about that, if we don't preach that, 
that we're not really preaching the gospel, no matter what our intentions may be, no matter how loving we feel towards people. And believe me, I understand that motivation. Right? I understand that. I, I, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to turn people away. We, we, we don't want people to walk away before they can experience Christ. I understand that emotion, but we need to be really careful because our, if on our desire, in our desire to want to reach people and to soften the gospel, we weaken the message to the point that it can have no saving effect. For instance, there is a, a, a Christian artist, very popular. Her name is Lauren Daigle. You talking about an amazing talent. I mean, that lady can flat sing. I mean, just the first time I heard her sing, I, I got goosebumps just thinking about the way the, the songs that she sings. She is an amazing talent. God has blessed her, and she has sings songs that gives people a message of hope. You know, she's inspired people. I mean, the first time I heard one of her songs, I actually, you know, YouTubed it and sent it to, to McKaylee and had her listen to it because I thought she might want to sing one of those songs as well. I mean, she's just, I mean, if you're an artist and you're aspiring to, to be like someone, she would certainly fit the, that list. And, I, you know, she has a special gift. Now, she's wildly popular, right? In fact, she, uh, her latest song is not even on just on the, the top of Christian charts. She has made it on the secular charts as well. She's knocked off many of the, the most common and most best-known um, uh, contemporary, I mean, not contemporary, but uh, uh, secular artists. I mean, she's beating people at their own game. The, the secular world is, is listening to, to her singing about Jesus, right? And because of that, she has this really wide audience and a platform with which, which, which to speak truth. But then during a recent radio interview, she was asked a question. Do you think that homosexuality is a sin? Now, I understand this is a really loaded question. This is the question that people ask people to get them into trouble. Right? This is the question that people ask people to, to really you know, create controversy around them. And she was asked this on the spot. She wasn't expecting this. Right? And, and, and this is a public forum. Right? And granted, she's not a pastor, right? And she's, she, you know, and she's probably not a, an ordained worship leader. And I don't have any idea what her connection to a church would be and, and, or her theological training. But the truth is, it was. It is a sin. Just like adultery and pride and greed and murder and gossiping, it's a sin. It's very clear in the Bible. But, and, and Lauren, even though that she, it was a tough question you know, you know, to answer, given the culture that's, that we're in, she had a perfect opportunity to lovingly tell the truth, to lovingly tell the truth and call people to repent and believe in Christ. But, but she, didn't, she didn't do that because she didn't want to offend anyone. And she said, I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that question. Now understand, I want you to hear me. Like, I'm not up here condemning her. I'm not saying, hey, she's... A, no, I mean she's an amazing artist, and, and I'm I'm still for her, and hopefully, you know, you know, for her ministry. But understand, you know, the, I understand the, the the temptation itself to sugarcoat the truth as well. I mean, she makes a living selling music, right? You know, her job is to to make the 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 audience as wide as possible, so more people will buy the music and go to the concerts and all that other stuff. 
right? And so she doesn't want to alienate her fan base. And, and I mean, even Ellen DeGeneres had her on her show because she thinks that she's a, a wonderful singer, right? And telling the truth here for her would certainly come at a great cost to her. Not to mention, there are many people in church leadership who answer this question the exact same way that she did, by saying, I don't know, you tell me. But understand, her fear of man and, and what people would think about her and what people would say about her caused her, in essence, to be ashamed of the gospel. Now, she probably didn't want to be ashamed of the gospel, and she probably doesn't even think that maybe she is ashamed of the gospel. She probably even thinks that maybe she's being loving, but the fact is she is ashamed of the gospel, or at least the part that calls people to repentance, or the, the part that, of the gospel that points to our sin, or the part of the gospel that helps us to understand we desperately need to be rescued, that we need God's mercy and his grace. And again, I want you to know, this is not a condemnation from her. her. I understand that emotion, because deep down, I want to be liked to. I want people like me. It's just kind of part of my nature. I, I want people to approve of me. I don't want to offend anybody. I never do. I don't want people to say, man, you're just intolerant. Right? I don't want, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't like hurting people's feelings. Right? But brothers and sisters, my feelings about any of this is irrelevant. They don't, they don't matter. Because that's not why I'm here. I'm here to preach to you and this little church, the entire counsel of God, and to proclaim the truth of the Word of God, even in times when it hurts. I'm here to preach the true and complete life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ, because as Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Mankind is not the power. Your ability to make it palatable is not the power. Your ability to to get people to, to love you is not the power. The gospel is the power for salvation. And that's why I'm here. Right? And understand, this is not something I chose. I didn't, I didn't choose to be here. When I first became a Christian 14 years ago, I received Jesus with, with great joy. I heard the truth about the gospel. I repented of my sins, and I celebrated the, of the new life that I had. And my life changed. You just asked my wife. My life changed, and I began to passionately read the Bible because I wanted to know more about God. I wanted deeper fellowship with God. But, and, and through my time in the Word, it became apparent to me that the Christian life was about serving God. And I knew that I was going to have to get involved somewhere to serve the Lord. And I told my wife, you know what, I'm supposed to, to serve God, but, and, and I'm happy to do so. But there are two things that just I'm not going to ever do. I'm not going to ever tell anybody my story, and I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to preach. Right? Yep, exactly. I mean, I'm really happy to tithe. I'm happy to fold bulletins and pass them out and mop floors and paint walls, but I'm not sharing my story, and I'm not going to be a preacher, and I certainly don't have any interest at all in being a pastor. Well, after becoming a Christian, another thing that I've learned is that, that you don't get to tell God what you are and what you're not going to do. Right? That God is a sovereign reigning king, and he does what he wants to do, and you will do whatever he calls you to do and leads you to do. And so here we are 14 years later, I'm in my sixth year doing a job I never thought I would ever do, a job that I never wanted to do, a job I certainly didn't sign up to do, but, but a job that God has called me to do, and a job that I take very, very seriously. And I have, to, I have to tell you that simultaneously, this is the most rewarding, but the most difficult and demanding job I have ever done in my life. 
I absolutely love what I do. I love preaching the word. I certainly love seeing people grow. I love seeing people get saved, and I love helping people. But it's the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. And it's not 9 to 5. When I leave my office, I don't stop being the pastor. When my phone rings at midnight and I wake up from a deep sleep, I am still the pastor. When somebody calls me at 2 o'clock in the morning and says, Hey, you, can you give me a ride home from the hospital? I am still the pastor. When it's my day off and people you know, call me or text me and, 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 and want to talk about something that they're wrestling with and, and they're, they're struggling with, right? I am still the pastor. And when somebody wants to know about Jesus Christ, I am always, always a preacher. It's just part of my job, a job that I, I love. Now, there are several reasons why I love it and why I do what I do. But there, there are two reasons that are at the heart of why I'm here. And I think it's important that I, I share with you what those are. And the first reason is I, I, want, I want you to understand is my desire is to glorify God in my life. I want God to be glorified in what I do, no matter what it is. And I believe with all my heart for me to do that is to, is to preach the word and to preach it with all my heart and to shepherd those that God has entrusted to me. You're talking about an intimidating job description. But that's what he's called me to do. I didn't ask for it. He, he called me to it. And he, he called me to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I firmly believe that doing what he called me to do is the way that I bring glory to God. And so the first thing I want to do is to glorify God. The second reason I do what I do is because I love you. That's why I do it. And you really need to understand that. When God changed my heart so that I could hear and understand the gospel, he began to change my heart and put inside of me a love for other people that wasn't there. When I was younger, I really just didn't care about other people. I mean, I cared about my kids, and I cared about my family, and if you were a customer of mine, I certainly cared about you, right? Because we had a financial arrangement. But, but that, was, that was it. I didn't care about others and their lives. You just ask my wife 15 years ago. I was just the most selfish, self-centered person that I that you could imagine. I only cared about me and my life and my family. That was it. But God gave me a new heart and he began to give me a new kind of love, a love for other people, a love for this church, a love for every single one of you individually. It's a love that, that drives. It's a love that, that pushes me forward. It's a love that, that urges me to keep going even when things are hard. It's a love that keeps me Awake at night. A love that's bigger than I can adequately even describe to you. That's why I do what I do. It's for the glory of God and it's for the love that I have for each and every one of you. And I mention this because I believe with every fiber of my being and with all of my heart that, that God is leading this little church in a particular direction. I believe that, that he is leading us towards revival. I believe that he is leading this church towards spiritual maturity. That he is leading this church to be exactly what, what the church was created to be. The pillar and the buttress of the truth and the, and the light that shines in the darkness. And I believe that's exactly where God is leading us and continuing to do so. And because of that, because God is refining his church, because God is, is changing us, there will be times that we are going to confront 
difficult topics. And there were going to be times when it's going, we're going to be pushed out of our comfort zones. There are going to be times when we will, we will challenge the status quo and we will be challenging some of our most deeply held assumptions. There will be times we will dive into the text and, and some of our views will be challenged and, and, and changed as we get a better understanding of the word of God. There will be times that the Holy Spirit will bring deep conviction to our hearts. Oh my Lord, does the Holy Spirit bring conviction. There's going to be times when the truth is going to hurt as God urges us to grow and to, to change as he refines us. There's going to be times that the gospel will offend someone. There'll be times when people will get up and walk out. There'll be times when people are not going to like me or what I have to say. But through it all, I need for you to understand my mission is to glorify God and to, and to love you to the best of my abilities by continually preaching to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if at times it hurts, even if at times it's unpopular. My, my calling is to unashamedly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's a calling that I absolutely mean to obey. You see, there's a number of texts in the Bible that weigh very heavily on my heart, such as James chapter 3, verse 1. If you've been in leadership at all, you're kind of familiar with this one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter, with greater strictness. The Bible makes it clear that God holds preachers and, and church leaders to a higher standard. And, and that he's going to hold me personally accountable, doubly, for what I do here. He's going to hold me accountable for the words that I proclaim. He's going to pr hold me accountable for the way that I treat um, the, the, the people in our congregation. He's going to hold me accountable for the example that I set. Right? And that right here is one of the reasons why I cannot and will not compromise the preaching of the gospel. That's why I must declare the love of God as well as the judgment of God. That's why I must declare the wrath of God, but also his grace. That's why I must tell people, yes, believe the gospel, but you must also repent. Because one day I will stand before God and give an account to him for everything that I've taught. And believe me, that frightens me a whole lot more than hurting somebody's feelings. That frightens me a lot more than, than offending someone. I fear God more than I fear men. Another text that weighs very heavily on me, very heavily on me, is Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, Not every one of you who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does not, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And, I will, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, if there is a text that should cause you to sit up straight and really pay attention, that's one of them. There are times you encounter the Word, and the Word encounters you. Because right here, this is a stern warning from Jesus himself. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And let me just kind of translate that for you. Not everybody who comes to church is saved. Not everyone who, who calls themselves a Christian is really a Christian. Not everyone who makes a profession of faith is a believer. Not everyone who invites Jesus into their heart has eternal life. Not everyone who does the, the, the Christian thing 
actually belongs to Jesus. And, and notice he's, he's talking to people who really think that they are saved. He says, he says that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. These are people who call him Lord. They have a high theology of Jesus. They, they are calling him King. And he will say, depart from me. Right? And they will say, well, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? Lord, did we do the things that Christians get to do? Did we do those things that Christians do, right? Did we attend church and, and go to Bible study? Didn't we come forward at the altar call? Didn't we help to feed the homeless in the community? Didn't, didn't we lift up our hands and worship on Sunday? Didn't we wear our Christian t-shirts for everybody to see, right? Didn't we put the, the bumper sticker on our car, right? Didn't, didn't, didn't we serve our community? And Jesus responds with, and I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I, I mean, imagine this. What will it be like for someone to think their whole life, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus, only to step off into eternity and to hear Jesus say the words, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. What kind of shock will that be? What, what kind of heartbreak will that be? But Lord, I was in church every Sunday. Away from me, I never knew you. But, but Lord, I remember I prayed a prayer that the preacher said to pray, and I repeated every single word that he said, away from me, I never knew you. Lord, I helped my neighbors. I even gave something in the offering plate, and I even forwarded all them Facebook posts that say like and share if you love, if you love Jesus. Away from me, I never knew you. I want you to understand, this is not just a heavy verse for me. This is a verse that keeps me up at night. Because how many people in, in my ministry have I preached to and proclaimed the gospel to that have confessed Christ that really weren't saved? Because there are people that, that, that I know, there are people that you know who, who claim to follow Jesus, who've made a profession with a faith, who've been baptized, right? But their lives look nothing like it. That there is nothing in their lives that would indicate that they are in love with Jesus Christ. There are people that I have witnessed to and have said that they are Christians and they have walked away from the faith. Even one of my own daughters, she confessed Jesus Christ as a child. She prayed to receive Christ. She, she asked Jesus, to, she invited him in, into her heart. She's someone that, that would look me in the eye and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe in the Trinity. I believe that the Bible is true. I mean, I baptized her myself right here in this very church, and she has completely rejected faith in Christ. I mean, when I tell her I pray for you, she says, don't, don't do that. That offends me. And she's living in complete rebellion against God and egregious sin before God. Willful. How many people do I know and love in my friends and my community that say and claim that they're following Christ right now and believe that they're Christians, but, but are in for a shock of their life when they meet Jesus face to face. It keeps me up at night. And you might say, well, Sherman, that's, you, you can't take responsibility for that. But the Bible says otherwise. As a preacher, I will be held accountable for everything that I say and do as a minister of the gospel. And God will certainly hold me accountable for those I may have led astray, regardless of how good my intentions may have been. 
My obligation is to proclaim the truth, the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ without shame, without hesitation, without apology. Because there's just, there's way too much at stake. And so that's why I preach the gospel and proclaim the word. That's why I seek to live out Paul's charge to Timothy where he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom to preach the word, proclaim the word, and to be ready, right? to be prepared in season and out of season, which means all of the time, to reprove, which is to correct doctrinal error, to rebuke, which is to call people out in their sin and to, and to, to, to exhort them to examine their lives and repent, and to, and to exhort, which is to encourage and build people up and instruct with the complete patience and teaching. What Paul is saying here is to always be ready, always be ready to preach and proclaim the word of God and always be ready to do the hard work of correcting false teaching and always be ready to do the, the, the hard work of correcting bad theology and always be ready to, to call people to examine their own hearts and their lives and, 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 and see if they're in the faith and repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ. To always be ready to instruct, to build people up in the Lord. This is a charge that I, I seek to live out because I want to honor God and do right by Him. And it's because I, I love you and I want to do right by you. See, church, I love you too much to risk you stepping off into eternity unprepared to meet Jesus. I love you too much to let you cross over only to hear the words, I never knew you. You are my family, my God-given church family, and I love you, and I want to do right by you, and that's why I won't compromise on the gospel to spare a person's feelings. That's why I won't give false hope, and that's why I absolutely will tell the truth in love, and I will try the very best of my ability to live like Jesus lived, full of grace and truth, and that's why I will call people over and over again to examine their hearts and to repent and to believe the gospel. If there is a phrase that you will hear out of me for the rest of my life, is to, to do as Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. The fact of the matter is there, there just may be a time for some of you in this room that I may be the one called to stand to preach at your funeral and to give your eulogy and to talk about your life. In fact, I will do that very thing my brother in Christ, Tiny. Soon we will have a memorial service for him and we'll get the details worked out. And when that time comes, I want to be sure in my heart that I did right by God and that I did right by you. That I did everything in my power to help you to be prepared to meet Jesus Christ and for you to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. That is why I preach the gospel. And that's why I will preach it to you again. Brothers and sisters, you have been created in the image of God. I don't know if you realize that. You are a special crowning creation of God himself. You, are, you were created in his image. Every single one of you. 
That means much of your life reflects the character of God, right? You're creative because God is creative. You are intelligent because God is intelligent. You are loving and compassionate because God is loving and compassionate. And the Bible is filled full of, of the God of God's love and compassion for his creation. You believe in justice because God is a just God. Who you are is defined by the fact that you were made in the image of God. And because you were made in the image of God, you were created for an up-close, personal, life-giving relationship with him. You were created for intimacy with him. Right? In fact, it's been said that you have a, a God-shaped hole in your heart that nothing in the world will ever be able to fill that besides God. But the problem is that the image of God in you has become distorted and broken. And the relationship that, that, that we were created for has been destroyed. And the reason for that is because, because of our sin. We were separated from God and his life-giving presence. And it's not because we just occasionally make mistakes. It's because all of us are by our very nature God's enemies. Understand, we're just not the obnoxious kid down the street to God. We're not just that person, the co-worker that he tries to avoid. right? We are his enemies. We are rebels against God. We have chosen all of us to go our own way. Paul says, none, none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together become worthless. No one does good, not even one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are wretched sinners who, by our rebellion, are fighting against a holy and righteous God, and as a result, the wrath of God is hanging over our heads. The Bible says that we are storing up wrath for ourselves for the day of judgment. And what's worse is you can't fix it on your own. There's something in all of us that thinks for some reason that like, okay, I realize, I recognize I'm a sinner. Okay, I need to get busy. And I need to start li living by a list of rules. And I just need to get better. And I need to do better. I need to try harder. I need to work more. There, there's lots of that, lots of religions like that around the world. But the problem is you can't overcome the stain of your own sin. The Bible says that your righteousness, the very best that you could possibly offer God, is but filthy rags before him. It's, it's trash. The very best that you can do is trash before God. It will not overcome the stain of your sin. And it's not that your good deeds aren't good. It's just, it's just the stain of your sin stains those things as well. And so you can't fix it. And, and so you're helpless. And if you, can't be, if you can't become rescued, one day you will stand before a holy and righteous God who will rightly judge and pronounce his judgment upon you and his wrath will be poured out on you. And you will spend eternity away from God's life-giving presence forever in hell. And that is the truth of who we are. And that's the truth about our condition. On our own, left up to our own devices, we are hopeless and helpless and rightfully condemned for the things that we do. But the good news, the good news, the gospel, God so loved the world that he did what in love people do, he gave. He gave his only son. Jesus Christ, the son of God. Jesus Christ, God the son, came into the world, he became one of us. That's what we're celebrating over the next few weeks. 
right? The incarnation, Jesus, God coming to the world, fully God, becoming fully man to identify with us, to live alongside of us, to walk in our shoes, to, to be tempted like us, to be able to, in every possible way, to be able to understand us. And he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he willingly was tortured and nailed to the cross for you. For who? For you. And on that cross, he traded places with you. He took upon himself your sin, and he paid the debt that you couldn't pay. And he gives to you a righteousness that you couldn't possibly earn, a righteousness you need to have to have a relationship with it. And, and on that cross, he received in his body you know, the full wrath of God that you deserve. He died for you. Church, hear me. If there is a reason for you to get up in the morning and to rejoice for anything, he died for you. No matter what you're going through in your life, you can wake up in the morning and say, he died for me. If you're looking for a reason to find value in your own heart, he died for you. And if, and if that was just it, though, that would be a tragedy. But three days later, Jesus was fully and bodily resurrected, proving that he has overcome death, your greatest enemy, and sin. And that, and that he also proved that he is what he claimed to be, God in the flesh, and then he can do what he promised to do, which is to save you from your sins and the wrath of God. And he offers you not condemnation, but eternal life through him, through a relationship with him. And all you need to do is to receive it by repenting and believing the gospel and understanding it's not about what you can do for God. You're not going to keep enough rules to make him happy. He already loves you. He already died for you. You repent and believe the gospel. You turn from your sin and turn towards God. And guess what? When you do that, you're still going to make mistakes and you're still going to fall down. You're still going to sin. But guess what? God's going to empower you to continue to do that, to repent and believe the gospel. And God will give you the assurance in your heart that you truly belong to him and that you are one of his children and that you then can turn and proclaim the gospel and give your pastor some peace of mind and say, I'm good, so go get some sleep tonight. I love you guys. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I rejoice in you, and I rejoice in the hope of the gospel. And I pray that everyone here, Lord, in, in, in our church family, every one of our members, everyone that, that visit us regularly, everyone who belong here, Lord God, have, have truly trusted in you. That they've set aside their legalism. They have set aside their desire to be self-righteous. They have set aside their false notions of who you are. They have set aside all those things that they have repented and put their trust squarely on you, that they're holding on to you. And that, Father, that you would give them the, the inspiration through the Holy Spirit to know that they have done that and they belong to you, Lord, and they would walk confidently in that continually able to repent and believe, repent and believe, that they are continually walking with you day after day in the Spirit, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that, that every single one of our church family belong to you. 
And that, Lord, that you would inspire their hearts to then take that assurance of God into the world and share the hope of Jesus Christ with our community. That, Father, that you would pour out your salvation on the community of Boron, Lord. That you would reach out into the darkest places of this town and that the light of Jesus would be shown and lives and hearts would change as they repent and put their trust in you, Lord God, and people are saved. I pray, Father, for revival in this church and our community. And I pray, Father, that you have your will and your way in all of our lives. And I pray, Father, Lord, that you be glorified in the work that we do here and the proclamation of the gospel here. And, Father, make us all bold and unashamed to share the hope of Jesus Christ. This is the power of God and salvation. Thank you for that. And I thank you for all that are gathered here in Christ's name. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.